A lot of it is like having high self-esteem in yourself, you know, really not having imposter syndrome. You didn't become super successful as a recruiter by accident. A lot of it was either your talent, your hard work, or a combination of the two. That's really important not to undersell ourselves. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm super excited to be joined today by Norm Volsky. Norm is a managing partner at DRI. Since 2011, he's led the digital health practice at DRI and has built a 10-person team billing over $6 million in revenue in 2022. The Pinnacle Society welcomed Norm as a member in 2021. And interestingly, in, in 2022, DRI managing partners merged with Kay Bassman and Sanford Rose Associates to form Starfish Partners. So more on that soon. Norm, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the invite and uh, we're going to have some fun today. Definitely. Hey, I should have mentioned you're also the host of the Digital Health Heavyweights podcast. So congratulations on launching your podcast. Thank you, Mark. You'll never guess who inspired me to start that podcast. (laughs) Do tell. Uh, It was you. I was at the Pinnacle Society meeting in San Diego and you got up and you talked about your uh, podcast, which I was familiar with. I had listened to multiple episodes and you just encouraged us to, you know, kind of put ourselves out there and uh, take a risk. And I just ripped off the bandaid. I got back. I started on the project as soon as we got back and I've already recorded two episodes. One has been posted. The other is in development, should be out next week. And, uh, the start of things to come. We're really excited about it. And I appreciate the inspiration. That is awesome. And I love hearing that story, but you were fast because the conference was only in April and you had released your first episode in May. So that's got to be some kind of record. So, you know, there's a reason you're a top producer. You, you obviously take action. Yep. Uh, I don't wait on things. I'd rather, uh, do things quickly, make a couple mistakes, learn from them, then just sit on the sidelines and, you know, wait to perfect things. So I'm a 100%. cut twice and measure once type of guy. <laughs> do you mean, wait a sec, do you mean measure twice, cut once? No, no. Opposite. the opposite. Cut yeah. twice, measure once. All right. Awesome. I love it. Is that, I guess that's a variation of ready, fire, aim. Yeah. You know, like wood's not that expensive. If uh, you make a mistake, you just throw it out and, you know, buy another plywood. <laughs> that, that reminds me of my, um, I don't know what they call it these days. In, in my day, it was called industrial arts. It's like wood, wood shop, right? In high school or junior high school it was. So I was probably 12 and I'd cut my length of wood too short. I was making a bedside table and it was too short. I took it to the teacher and I said, uh, Mr. Shimp, um, I, I, I cut it too short. He said, well, Mark, just go on into the uh, storeroom there and go get the wood stretching machine. Let's see what we can do. And I went into the storeroom. I looked around and I came back out and I said, Mr. Shimp, which is the wood stretching machine? He said, Mark, there isn't a wood stretching machine. Go get another piece of wood. <laughs> I love that. Good old Mr. Shimp. So um, tell me briefly how you got into recruiting Norm. It's a very good question. Um, so I was in college at the time, and my whole life I was a huge sports fan, sports fanatic. I was like a walking ESPN encyclopedia. So at the time, my mom was dean of nursing at UMass Boston, 
And she got me an internship at the Boston Celtics between my sophomore and junior year. Was super excited. Wow. I was like, all right, this is my chance. And they locked me in a room for 12 hours a day watching obscure college basketball film. So after a summer of no human interaction and uh, a lot of boring days, I kind of decided it wasn't for me after I learned that I would have to do that job for about 10 to 15 years to maybe get the assistant GM job of an NBA team. So my whole life's plan was ruined um, by that time. So the next summer, I was a little bit lazy. I hadn't secured an internship yet. So I called my sister, who was in medical school at the time, and uh, I was pretty panicked. And I said, hey, I, I don't have an internship. I don't think any corporation's going to care that I worked for the Boston Celtics last summer. Uh, I need to get an office job. Uh, do you know anyone hiring? And she said, well, it was just over my friend's house. Her boyfriend's a recruiter. Seems to do pretty well. Um, I don't think he'll pay you, but I'm sure he'll let you intern for free. It happens to be a couple uh, miles down the road from mom and dad's house. So I said, well, I won't have to pay rent. All right. Uh, yeah, I'll do it for free. So I came to DRI with the sole intention of getting a good reference and getting the hell out of there. I had no intention of being a recruiter, but they got me on the phones right away. Interestingly enough, I was super awkward for the first week to two weeks of uh, my first you know, couple dozen recruiting calls. But somewhere in that like two week period, a flip switched and you know it became very natural to me. Really enjoyed the uh, intellectual stimulation of you know the battle of wits, you know, you and the candidate. Um, and that was really, really an eye-opening experience for me. So after doing that for a couple months, I changed my whole career path. They gave me an offer, and uh, I still had a handful of interviews my senior year, but I always had this idea that, hey, I want to come back and try this full time. And I'm really, really glad I did. So sometimes the right thing just falls in your lap. And, you know, sometimes uh, you got to believe in fate. That is amazing. Wow. What a cool story. So, yeah, so I was that... the first intern in the history of DRI. Um, we've had some very, very good ones since uh, my first hire, Mitch Herman, who built, I think, a million and a half last year. Uh, he was an intern for me. So, it's been a successful program. Wow, that's really cool because I don't know many recruiting firms that have that model of uh, providing internships in, in order to build their uh, their team of rookies. So, well, look, let's dive into that because that's something that I think you've done extraordinarily successfully is to build a team. You've got a team of 10 people doing over 6 million that's a phenomenal per desk average. And um, I have always believed that the role of a billing manager is like the toughest job in recruiting. You know, you're managing your own workload, your own client base, uh, doing deals. And at the same time, you're also training, coaching, mentoring, managing, um, you know, your, your team and trying to get that balance right is is challenging. So can you sort of break down and talk us through why you think you've been able to do that so well? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I'll pick it apart in a couple areas. First and foremost, um, you know, people ask, like, what motivated you to succeed? You know, where did the fire start? And to be very honest, my initial motivation for my first four to five years in the business was just not to be the family screw up. 
as I mentioned, you know, my mom's the has been the dean of nursing at a couple colleges. You know, she's retired in the last year, but she was in you know the dean seat for over a decade. Uh, my dad was a very successful lawyer in Cleveland. Uh, my oldest sister is a doctor. She was in medical school when I started this internship. And then my middle sister is a very successful management consultant. Her uh, focus is uh, bankruptcies. She's worked on the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy. She did the uh, analysis of the Bernie Madoff and uh, like Wilpon Katz whole fiasco. Um, she did the Ritz camera bankruptcy. So like everyone in my family has been ultra successful and I'm the youngest of my family. So, you know, I would say compared to a doctor and a consultant, recruiting isn't the sexiest job. So I decided very early, I'm like, if I'm going to do this and I chose this as my career path, I got to do it at the highest level because just being a mediocre recruiter is not anything to brag about. And you know, have your uh, parents, you know, happy to tell their friends that, hey, my you know, son's a recruiter. But if you do it at a really high level, you know, you can achieve a lot of success and you can be seen as on par, you know, with other people and other, you know, really, um, you know, unique areas. So that was my first motivation was not to screw up. Then once I, you know, started to be successful and wanted to grow a team, you know, my motivation then turned to how can I set up other people you know, to succeed like I had? Um, and a big part of my success also was who I learned from. So you know, the fact that Mike Silverstein was my boss, you know, he and his team are well known for being probably one of the top teams nationally from a revenue standpoint. So I learned from some of the best, you know, Dan Charney, who owns the firm, he was a great mentor of mine as well. All our partners, you know, have been really, really helpful in uh, you know, our growth. So in terms of once I started managing and started building a team, I think I did do it a little differently than a lot of firms do. And you know, I think a lot of firms, when they try to grow and they try to hire, many try to hire former recruiters because they say, mm-hmm. oh, I want to hire someone that immediately knows what they're doing and, and can have mm-hmm. a really quick transition. I would argue if someone's willing to change firms most of the time, they're probably not all that good. I'm sure there's exceptions to that rule, but you know, if you're not succeeding in one firm, you know, sometimes you're not necessarily going to be succeeding somewhere else. Very few few firms let their top producers leave easily. And if they do, they're probably starting their own firms. They're not going to go work for someone else. So my thought process was very different. I was like, hey, I want to hire really high potential people with a ton of talent, and maybe they have no experience. So obviously, Mitch, you know, was an intern for me. He came in, crushed it. It was a no-brainer to offer him a full-time role, and that's worked out well for all involved. Um, but you know, since then, I've learned a lot of uh, traits I look for. I look for folks that have a high level of intellect, have not necessarily have to be extroverts. I think that's also a misconception. Just because mm. someone's talkative doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be really successful in recruiting. I'd argue you probably have to be 10 times the listener than you are the talker to be really, really successful. Because what does a good conversation mean? Probably means the other person talking a lot. <laughs> so totally. um, I think that's really important. And then, you know, the drive, the hunger, you know, the just need to succeed. You know, I think some of that comes from pedigree. You know, I kind of look at my own situation, what motivated me. I had high expectations of myself. My family had high expectations of myself. 
So I really think that's something I look for is someone that has a lot to prove and someone that has a really high bar. Um, and then, you know, openness to learn. You know, I think in this business, you got to be humble. Like you get humbled very quickly, you know, with all the rejection we deal with. Um, you know, someone who seeks help tends to do very well. Someone who tries to figure everything else out on their own and they feel very self-conscious when asking for help, they, that can really stunt someone's growth. So, you know, I think what a lot of firms make the mistake on is number one, trying to hire experienced recruiters who are kind of recycled from other firms. I think that can be a mistake. And two, shooting too low in who they can attract. Like I try to attract people who could have been lawyers, could have been accountants, could have been doctors, could have been management consultants if they wanted to, but they chose this career because they see that you can make a huge impact in the niche area that you focus in and you can have a really nice lifestyle and it can really be a situation where after a handful of years, you're your own boss and you you know decide your own working hours and you have a ton of autonomy and limitless earning potential. And there's very few careers that have that. Um, so I try to emphasize that as much as I can in my recruiting process. And I try to get the most talented people I can and put the onus on myself and my team to coach these people up. That's been my philosophy. And, you know, hopefully knock on wood, it's worked on out so far. And, you know, I think that's a good way to scale. I love it, Norm. And so you and I are uh, on the same exact page with this. It's funny because we, for our clients who are scaling, um, we really encourage them to not um, rule out experienced recruiters because there are some great ones out there. And if you can persuade them to join your team, then then fantastic. Uh, but we really encourage people to focus on attitude and mindset over experience and that I'd rather hire the rookie who is intelligent, hungry, you know, uh, coachable, wants to learn, wants to, you know, just have this, has that need to succeed, as you say, but has zero experience rather than the recruiter who has five years experience and they're okay. But, you know, they're, they, I would, I would go with that high potential rookie mm -hmm. every single time. Um, and so that's number one, you know, it's, I heard this long ago and I think it's really true. Someone can have five years experience on paper, but actually they have one year experience repeated five times. Just because you hired an experienced person, don't expect them to A, hit the ground run. Now, actually this is, this applies even if they're really good, just because someone's performed well somewhere else, doesn't mean you're just going to leave them alone. You're not going to offer any training, mentorship, coaching, and so on. You know, you People see it as a shortcut or a time saver, but the reality is if you're not willing to invest time and energy in someone's development, you shouldn't really be growing a team. Thoughts? I couldn't agree more. And I think part of my hypothesis is partially because I think, you know, direct recruiters, my firm who trained me, I think we really recruit very differently than um, many recruiting firms out there. And I think that's a big reason why we merged with Kay Bassman and the folks over at SRA. Is I think we have a very different training model. I think we have a very different way of doing business than your average recruiting firm. So if we recruit experienced recruiters, a lot of time we're spending untraining what mm. they've already learned and right. retraining them. And that's a, almost a bigger lift 
in getting someone to do it a different way than they were originally trained than just starting from zero. I have the perfect example of that, Norm. When I moved over here to the UK from Canada, I already had my driver's license and I learned to drive pretty quick. I don't know. I took six or eight lessons or something and passed my test. And then I moved over here and it was way more difficult to learn how to drive on the opposite side of the road with a car that's, you know, back to front. You know, the the rear view mirror is not where you think it's going to be. The gears are on a different side. And I think it took me about 20 lessons the second time to build up the confidence to take my test here and get my UK driver's license. I just found it so much harder for the exact reason I was actually unlearning and relearning new new habits. Um, so, so true. I love analogies. That's a good one. Um, so... Talk to me about your internship program. How, well, actually, no, before we get into that, you said the way that you work and is, is quite different from other firms. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I think a lot of recruiters, especially if they're self-trained or, you know, they're getting trained by, you know, someone that hasn't done a ton of in-depth research, and then obviously gone to the school of hard knocks of actually recruiting, you know, for decades. Um, It can be a very transactional business when done Mm. poorly. Um, And I think what we do really, really well is make it a relationship-based model, where the goal is to establish really good relationships with your candidate pool, with your clients and potential clients and other companies in the industry, um, that you may work with at some point in the future. And our thought process is just bring as much value as you can on each call you make, um, share a lot of market insight, um, focus in a very specific area. We're big fans of like market mastery is uh, coined by Jeff Kay and you know really niche expertise. There's so many times that in a uh, first call with a potential client, I reverse sell. I say, hey, let me first tell you what we're horrible at and that we don't do well at all. We don't do engineering. We don't do development searches. We're just not good at it. We don't know what we're doing. It's not our core competency. And that just brings down every level of resistance and awkwardness where they're expecting sell, sell, sell. I say, hey, this is what we're really crappy at. And here's what we're good at. We're good at commercial and ops. We can do sales, marketing, product, operations, client services, account management, partnerships better than anyone. But if you need this, we're not your group. That is so refreshing. So again, I think a lot of it is being really authentic, really honest in what your abilities are, um, very relationship-based, very focused on the long term. Hey, we're in it for the long haul. We're going to be in this industry for 30 years. We'll let you know when we can bring value. We don't want to make a bad first impression. Like all of this mindset is a lot different than most firms. You know, a lot of firms kind of focus and a lot of recruiters focus on almost living in a sense of scarcity. There's not enough candidates. There's not enough business. I want to take any search I can get. We're very much the opposite mindset where we're like, hey, like quality is the most important thing, both on the candidate side and even just as importantly on the client side. And I think a lot of recruiters and firms across the country kind of make the mistake of saying, hey, any 
client willing to pay a fee or any search that comes inbound, I have to take because it's better than nothing. Um, you know, more is better than less. It totally depends on is a good use of your time. So, you know, let's go back to my example of we're not very good at technology searches. If one of my clients comes to me and says, hey, we need a chief technology officer, and we're willing to pay three times the fee we usually pay to you guys because this is a crucial role for us, I could say, yeah, we'll take it because it's going to be a big fee. And yeah, it sounds awesome. It's a C-suite position, helps our brand. But if we don't perform well on that and it takes us six months and 100 man hours to find the right person because we're starting pretty much from scratch... We could have maybe placed 15 salespeople and those fees added up is 10 times the amount that that one CTO search would have been. So I'm very much of the mindset of having a niche focus, doing what you do really well, being open and honest with your market on it, and really think of the combination of what's the difficulty in filling it compared to what you're good at, and then what's the potential revenue generated from that effort? And if one is out of balance with the other, like it doesn't make sense no matter how high or low the other is. So I think you know, just balancing things can be really, really important. Um, yeah, and we absolutely. can talk more about branding and you know the quality piece, but I don't want to go on a tangent. Yeah, no. So it's really interesting. I agree. Um, first of all, something you said, which is like, you have a very long-term view of this and you're trying to build a sustainable business, like that's going to be around in 30 years time. And you're right. A lot of people come into this business and they are thinking much more short-term and transactionally than that. Whereas all of the most successful people who I admire in this industry and who are top producers always consider the long-term uh, when they're making decisions, when they're deciding how they're going to act or behave in certain situations. Um, so I, I couldn't agree more on that. Are you worried about keeping your recruitment firm up to date with the latest technology? After all, your clients expect you to be ahead of the curve. But how do you select the right tech for your recruitment firm and make sure that you earn enough new business as a direct result to make back the cost of your investment? which is why our friends at iIntro provide in-depth coaching alongside their technology to help you get the most out of your investment. They offer an extensive suite of tools, but let's just take one example, their behavioral assessment tool. It's built right into their online system, so you don't have to buy or learn a whole new platform. They also include training on how to use behavioral assessments to improve your pitching technique while also increasing the longevity of your placements to a staggering 96% after 12 months. For a free demo of iIntro's suite of recruitment tools, including behavioral assessment, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Remember, when you engage with our sponsors, you also help support this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, then follow the instructions to get started. What's interesting is what you said about um, most recruiters, if they're any good, are rigorous in selecting candidates for their client and you know going after the really the top. We, we all pride ourselves on finding quality candidates. But what I love about what you said is you apply the same mindset to uh, vetting your clients. You only want to work with you know A grade clients 
Could you say more about that? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, our job to our clients is to bring the top talent to them. I'm of the opinion that when you're in a niche expertise, especially, you have that same responsibility to your top quality candidates to bring the best opportunities to them. It's like a symbiotic relationship. Because if you're constantly calling top talent in the industry, who are the best of the best, who are called by every recruiter known to man, and probably getting called by every company known to man, um, everyone knows who these people are most of the time. If you're bringing them mediocre opportunities, they're going to stop taking your call. And I don't blame them for stopping taking your call. Because again, your value to the top candidates in the market is being a means to getting introduced to the top companies and potentially their next home to utilize their skill set and their network and their knowledge. So what I've done is I've really targeted the top companies with the top reputations, with the top leadership teams, with the top investors, because it's what's in the best interest of the candidates I've built a relationship with over the last decade. And ultimately, it helps my brand as well. So it's, it's a win-win-win for all parties. It is a lot more work. Those are the companies everyone wants to work with. And you know, there's a lot more work that goes into it. There's a lot more um, having to sell your services is the best, even if you might be a premium price. So you know, the bar is high. Like You're putting pressure on yourself to perform but if you're able to locate those great companies that have great reputations, it makes your recruiters' lives easier. So the people that I've hired, they're happy because they get to work on opportunities that they're incentivized to work hard and you know spend a lot of hours on. Because when they call people, the people aren't saying, no, I've heard bad things about that company. I don't want to work with them. They're just saying, hey, maybe it's not right time. Maybe it's not a area I'm personally interested. But like, Thank you for bringing it to me. That would be a great opportunity for someone else. So I think it's important for a lot, a lot of reasons. And the other thing, and this is how I scaled my business like in this area that I stumbled into, um, and I feel very fortunate to have found about seven years ago, um, when you have really top clients, you can use that as a marketing tool to get other clients. So right. interestingly enough, the first client I ever got in this like employee benefits market um, that I stumbled into seven years ago that company happened to IPO and ultimately sell for $18.5 billion, with a B, dollars. They are probably the greatest success story in the industry I play in. Part of that was luck, but part of it was my persistence. Like I had heard of their founders. They made a $4 billion exit previously, so they were a known commodity. I had a good feeling they were going to do something very successful um, in this next chapter of their you know, careers. So when I brought those opportunities to candidates, that helped me brand myself. But also, I would use those searches that were pretty high level to reach out to CEOs and chief commercial officers and COOs and chief marketing officers and just say, hey, Mark, I'm working on this opportunity. It's not for you. Either it's three levels below you or it's in another um, segment of the market. You're a marketing person. This is a sales leadership role. But I wanted to bounce it off you. I wanted to network with you. Let me tell you about it. You got to pitch that client perfectly um, so that, you know, again, your goal is 
that's your infomercial to people that you want to work with at some point in the future. Yes. This is how I pitch my clients. This is how I ask for referrals. This is my knowledge of the industry. You're building this infomercial where hopefully at the end of that call, it clicks in their mind. When I'm recruiting for talent, I want that person representing me because they know their stuff. They're super passionate. They're super energetic. They have a lot of credibility in the market. They represent other good, really well-respected companies. And even if they're a little more expensive, I think it's worth it because I think that group can find me the best candidates, the best quality. So I know that's a lot of information, probably more than you expected, but it's something I'm super passionate about. And I think people that follow this model are going to reach a level of success. You can't duplicate by just going for low-hanging fruit. Hey, Norm, that was beautiful. Like what you just, uh, that little um, strategy that you shared, I've not heard anybody else share that specific strategy, at least not in the detail that you did. I think it's very nuanced, but if people get it, that is powerful. Thank you so much. Really, really yeah. like that. No, I um, appreciate it. I I find it interesting that when I started in this business, every single one of the partners, like I was a newbie, all of them had a mailer. That was how they got most of their clients. They sent out a mailer and whoever responded ended up being their clients. And a handful of the partners were really good at networking also and, you know, would get referrals and, you know, their name in the industry. They'd get word of mouth stuff. Um, But, you know, my manager, Mike, taught me some of this of like how to use high level searches to network with high um, well-respected individuals at companies that you know had good reputations, and kind of how to turn that into potentially working with them. And you know, I took that and ran with it. And I've never sent a mailer with the intent to get clients because I don't want inbound clients other than ones that come from word of mouth, come through referral, come from uh, you know an investor that we respect because I don't want average clients. I want the best, and I'll work harder to get them. I want to I want to challenge something you said there, Norm, which is um, I think you do want inbound leads, but then mm-hmm. you choose which ones you want to partner with. Correct. Right. So, but I get what you're saying. Like, you can't control the quality of people who phone you, but if you're targeting the exact, like we call it your ideal client avatar, or some people mm-hmm. call it in software they call it ICP, ideal client profile. If you have identified exactly within your niche, the companies that you want to partner with and you're proactively targeting them, then uh, I think that's definitely the way to go. At the same time, if you're putting yourself out there like you are on your podcast, that will attract all kinds of opportunities, Mm -hmm. but then it puts you in the position of being able to say no, you know, if it's not the right uh, business partner for you. And in fact, something I like that you said earlier is like, something's better than nothing. No bigger myth. And you, I know you weren't saying that you were arguing against that. No (laughs) bigger myth in our business. Something's better than nothing. I've heard that used to justify working on lower fees, crappy, you know, job orders, uh, low probability searches. Or sending crappy candidates. Oh, this crappy candidate's better than not sending one at all. I disagree. Like you want your clients to prioritize your emails, your outreach. You don't want to become the boy or girl who cried wolf. 
who said, hey, I presented these people. This one's really good. But yeah, the last three were crap. Like you shouldn't have. But like this one's important. Like you got to <laughs> right, move. Trust like, me. Yeah, exactly. You lose credibility when you, uh, you know, lower your quality threshold in everything that you do. Interesting. Okay, awesome. So um, I'd love to learn more about your internship program because that is quite rare in our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that actually work? Yeah, um, it works through, hey, I have a daughter or a son who needs some experience. Are you guys having interns this summer? You know, it's a lot of, uh, you know, community based. Um, We've expanded since COVID, like pre COVID, we didn't have anyone outside of the Cleveland area, except for someone who like moved for a spouse, um, but had like started in the home office. Since then, we've you know been able to expand, and we have some amazing employees out of the state of Ohio. Um, we recruited someone named Ben Seamus, who's in Chicago. He's fantastic. He's like built out our financial um, practice, so he places like CFOs and VPs of finance. He's got an accounting and consulting background. We might not have hired him, you know, pre-COVID, but we learned, you know, hey, we can do this remote. You know, there's yeah. someone we worked with for years on the candidate side in California that joined the team and she's great. Um, So, you know, in terms of the internship, a lot of it has been Cleveland based. A lot of it's, Hey, we, we know their parent, we know their brother or sister or, you know, as a family friend. So usually that's, you know, kind of how we found our interns for the most Mm -hmm. part, we're going to probably start marketing it better in future years. But, you know, basically I think recruiting is just a business not many people know a whole lot about. Not a lot of people know it's a career option. So the way we see it is we give these interns, now paid interns to be clear. Um, I I was the first and only unpaid intern, um, but it ended up working out well. So no, no hard feelings. But, you know, our paid internship program is purely in our opinion, an opportunity for us to get some really talented individuals exposed to recruiting and for them to get a couple months of experience and to know whether it's for them. I think a lot of recruiting, it's a great career for a lot of people, but it's not for everyone. Like it is a lot of rejection. It is a lot of hard work. It is a lot of betting on yourself. Um, Some people want more security than that. Some people want a little bit more of a defined career path as opposed to a lot of ambiguity. So for the right people, it's an amazing career and we want people exposed to that. But I think it's just as helpful for the people that come in here for two, three months and say, yeah, I couldn't see myself doing that for 30 years. And that's good because then again, we don't waste the first year of their career out of college on something that doesn't turn out to be what they want to do. So I think it's just a really, again, long-term thinking, getting really talented people in who have a lot of the like talent and core skill set that it makes to be a great recruiter and giving them a little taste of it and seeing if they like it or not. Um, it's been really good for our firm. Again, we don't have a 100% success rate, but some of our top producers did start in this program. We're going to be onboarding uh, an intern of ours who's been here, I think, three or four summers in a row named Danny Meyeroff. Uh, I tell him every day, like, you're a million times better than I was at your age. Like, you're so wow. far advanced. Um you know, Mitch was way better than me um, in his early years as well. I, I have no problem telling them like, hey, you're further advanced than I was at your age um, because it's the truth. So, you know, we're really excited to bring him on and you know, he'll be just another one of the 
success stories. And you'll be interviewing, you know, Mitch and him over the next, uh, you know, three, five, 10 years. Fantastic. I look forward to that. So um, what's cool about this, which it kind of answers the one of the drawbacks of hiring rookies is that until you try it, you don't really know if recruiting, if you're going to take to it, if it's you're going to enjoy it or, or be any good at it. And mm-hmm. so, whereas if you hire someone who is experienced, at least they know this is what I do, right? As I'm, I'm a recruiter. So yeah. I guess the intern program gives both parties the opportunity to kind of test that out and see if it is workable. Um, yeah. And it goes back to what I said before, like we want to recruit people in a DRI that could have been professionals, accountants. Yeah. People in finance, someone who could go into consulting, someone who could be a doctor or a lawyer. We want to get some people in here with that talent level. Maybe they're somewhere between sophomore and junior year, junior or senior year. So they're exposed to this and they see it as one of their many options. And if they love it, they gravitate towards it. Um, I would argue that's how to get really top notch, talented people that could do anything but choose to do this. By exposing it to them early, um, it's so much harder to convince someone when you know a consulting firm maybe is willing to pay twenty thousand dollars more guaranteed in year one. Like, yeah, that's a steep. But like, if someone comes in, they see it, and they're like, "Hey, like this is limited. Uh, this is unlimited potential." I like yeah. the idea of it being a total meritocracy. No one has to promote you. You can kind of write your own paycheck if you come in and do really well. Like those are the reasons to take this job. Yes. But if you're never exposed to it, you're probably going for the safer choice. Um, so again, totally. I think it exposes us to probably a higher caliber of person than we've been exposed to as an industry for probably the last 10 decades since yeah, it's been no, in it's existence. I, uh, I actually have a client over here in the UK who speaks at universities about careers in recruiting. And like every year he'll go and he's got certain universities local to where their office is, where he, he just gives these presentations and, and uh, they've definitely had people through the door from that, from that route. Um, could you elaborate on your mindset around going after high potentials? Because it's interesting. I, I feel like a lot of recruiting firm owners set their sights too low in terms of the quality of person that they could attract, especially for a small business. And they kind of almost have, you and I talked about this uh, a few days ago, Norm, mm-hmm. was like, they almost had to like, why would someone work for me? Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is completely the wrong mindset. So could you talk about how, your mindset towards, you know, your, um, why you think this is a fantastic or how you make sure it is a fantastic opportunity for somebody. Yeah. Like ultimately it's a huge responsibility when you bring in someone of that talent level, like you need to give them the tools to be successful and you've got to put in the time to train them and to mentor them and to help them not only with the tactical part of the business, but also the mindset part of the business and say the, uh, the mental part of the business might be even harder to teach than the tactical side of the business. So, Definitely. you know, in terms of, you know, what I'm thinking about, you know, when I'm going after a high potential and trying to attract someone, I think the first thing, you know, anyone who's trying to do this and wants to do this 
is just realizing how great of a job and career this is. Like the fact that we who, you know, built firms or work for top firms, um, have the opportunity to build a business from scratch, you know, with very little capital, um, other than sweat equity is, is really pretty awesome. And once you do that, once you bill a certain amount or have a certain amount of clients and start to build a team, you can really create your own hours. You can work at your own time. You can obviously earn a really nice level of income um, with very little oversight, you know, and a ton of autonomy. So just us realizing like how rare that is, you know, how rare it is to have a job where you don't need to get tapped on the shoulder and promoted or play corporate politics to be able to get raises, get promotions, you know, get equity in a company is like very, very rare. And uh, to be able to make a huge impact on businesses, like I take a ton of pride in the fact that some of my clients have done really, really well. Would they have done probably very great without me? Sure. But a lot of them say like, hey, like some of the talent you placed here was crucial to our success and was a big part of us growing at the rate we have. So I think just first off, like the mindset of the impact you can make in this business is immense, just as big as many other very successful careers or, you know, sexier careers. Um, That's first and foremost. Second thing is also mentally feeling as though the candidates you're reaching out to, the clients you're working with, even the CEOs of the companies you're working with, that you're an equal of theirs. Like if the shoe are on the other foot, like you feel like you could start a company in the space you focus in if push came to shove Um, and feeling as though you're bringing just as much value to them as they're giving to you. Like, yes, they're paying you the fees, but you're bringing them great talent. You're helping them scale their business. Like it is a mutually beneficial relationship and you're bringing just as much value to the table as they're bringing to you. So I think just that mindset is then helping you recruit talent because when you realize this is a great career and it is a career that you can feel proud about and that you can feel as though you're on equal footing to your clients and the people you're working with. You're not like just a servant of theirs. You then are reaching out to candidates, you know, probably people in college or right out of college that have a lot of talent, that have successful parents, that have really high expectations of themselves and be able to explain how great this career is because you think it is a great opportunity to join your firm. You think it is a great opportunity to be mentored by yourself. And only because you've put in that time, you've put in that effort, you've gone the extra mile in learning the business and doing research and trying to get better at your craft, meaning you can teach it better to people who work for you. So I think a lot of it is like having high self-esteem in yourself and in yep. confidence in your skill set. And, uh, you know, really not having imposter syndrome, like Mm. you didn't become super successful as a recruiter by accident. A lot of it was either your talent, your hard work or a combination of the two. Um, so I I think that's really important not to undersell ourselves, um, and undersell this business. I love it. That's fantastic. Norm. Have you ever dreamed of launching, scaling, and one day selling your recruitment business? If so, I highly recommend you speak to Recruitment Entrepreneur. Founded by former Dragon's Den star James Kahn, Recruitment Entrepreneur is the world's leading private equity firm specifically focused on the recruitment industry. They invest in startups and scale-ups and have already backed over 30 founders. There's no reason why you couldn't be their next joint venture partner. 
James's first company, Alexander Mann, sold in 2013 for $260 million. His second venture, Humana International, he grew with Doug Bugey to over 140 offices in 30 countries before selling to MRI. James and his team are actively looking for ambitious recruiters from across the United States and around the world who want to partner with them to launch and scale successful recruitment businesses. They provide the funding, expertise, mentoring, and back office support to make your dream a reality. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC as in venture capital. Book a discovery call with them and be sure to tell them that you were sent by Mark Whitby in the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. How many people have you put through this program and how many have actually ended up joining you and doing well? Yeah, we have a big firm. We have over 100 people within our firm. I have, you know, 12, 14 different partners. So me personally, I've had four interns and all of them have started or will start with me. And I have one this summer that's, you know, doing really well. His name's Will. He's great. Um, so that could be another success story there. So everyone has come over and converted, um, you know, Danny's just going to start, Zach's just going to start. So like, we're still early. Like I don't, of my 10 folks who have, you know, put their trust in me and joined, you know, this team, only Mitch was a alumni of the internship program. And then these other two are going to come in full time in the coming weeks. And then, you know, we've got Will, you know, this summer. So my team in particular, we have a good conversion rate, but it's still early. And then as a firm, you know, we've had a bunch and, you know, some have stayed, some have not stayed, but I think that's good. You know, I don't think you should have a hundred percent success rate. I, I actually mentioned this in my own podcast. If you're not making mistakes or you're not having any losses, you're not taking enough risk. Right, right. Exactly. The only way to not make mistakes is not take enough action. And yeah, a hundred percent. So, okay. The, the second part of this equation though, is getting people success. Now, obviously hiring the right person is like huge factor, right? But then mm-hmm. the results that you're getting from people is phenomenal norm. Like, especially with relatively inexperienced team, they're a young team. This. Right. It's a young team, which means they haven't been doing this for years and years and years. Um, and yet they're producing you know, like some pretty impressive numbers. So what is your formula there? That's a great question. So first, I, I think hiring the right people makes your life a lot easier. Um, so that definitely stacks the deck in your favor. I think the other thing is you've got to practice what you preach. You got to lead from the front. You got to show the work ethic and the standard of excellence and the importance on quality. And if you lead by example, you know, people want to rise to that standard. I think that's really, really important. And you can't duplicate that. Um, yeah. The, uh, you know, in Instagram motivational speaker, Gary V, you know, mentions like you are going to have your business. You never can expect people to work as hard as you work. Like, it's just not realistic. It's not rational to believe that. So you're always going to ideally be your hardest worker. But hopefully by you setting that example, people want to follow and come, you know, close to that level. Um, And I 
think my team's done an amazing job of working their butts off and really, you know, seeing this as a career and trying to improve their skills. So I, I think that is is important to lead from example. The other thing that I think is really important is to be very clear that like you will make mistakes. This is a process. It's going to take time to perfect. I'm still trying to get better. I'm still doing things new and different and getting out of my comfort zone personally. I've been doing this 10 years. So like, I want you to do that as well. This is a constant process and really focusing on the big things, like focusing on big skills. So I do not get super in the nitty gritty. I'm like, you have to say this exact thing this way. Mm. I am more focused on the big skills. Like, what are the most important things to teach a new recruiter? How to start off a call, like how to build rapport early, how to dig for pain and understand what someone's motivations are. So you have the information to allow yourself to help them because that's what we're here to do. Help them enhance Mm -hmm. their career. Then being able to pitch your clients in the best way. You know, like a lot of recruiters make the mistake of pitching the job first and then Mm -hmm. all the features and benefits. Jobs mostly mostly the boring thing of the pitch because yeah. that's what they're doing now. Like, why would anyone get excited about, oh, I've got a VP of marketing. You're calling VP of marketing people. So like, let's talk about the amazing things the client is doing and what success they're having and who their investors are and who the founders are and their track record and all the statistics that indicate their success. And then get them to ask, hey, this sounds amazing. What's the opportunity? Like, that's the best way to pitch, you know, stuff like that. that, you know, stuff like yeah. understanding, um, you know, how to, you know, work them through the process and how do you, you know, understand motivation and, you know, all these things, very, very important, you know, topics. Um, so, you know, we really like to try focusing on the big things. And I always say like, Hey, when you're ever in a jam and you don't know what to say, always go back to why is this in their best interest? client, candidate, yourself, coworker, you know, anytime you don't know what to do, ask that question, wait till you can answer it and then respond. Um, so I, I think that's been, you know, very, very important is, hey, you know, Norm, focusing could, on big could you you know, topics. Just to elaborate on that last piece some yep. more, uh, focusing on the other party's best interest. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I think a lot of recruiters think about themselves. You know, they think about why someone should do something because they want them to do it. They want them to consider other opportunities. They want them to interview with their clients. They want them to take the job. They want that client to sign their contract. They want that client to hire their candidate. Again, we are a third party. We are the matchmaker between the candidate and the client. If it's not the right opportunity for the candidate, we shouldn't want them to take the opportunity and accept the job. If it's not the right candidate for the company, maybe they're great, but the culture fit's not right. We don't want them to hire them. Like that's a foreign concept to a lot of recruiters out there. Um, so what you know, I treat teach my team is hey, like our job is to make a great match, and if that is not happening, um, then we didn't do our job. We didn't do a good job. So really focusing on every step of the way. Is this in the client's best interest to do what I'm asking them to do? Is this in the candidate's best interest to ask them what to do? When I'm coaching my team, I'm thinking, is this in their best interest to do what I'm asking them to do? It really is a good thing to do, even you know, with parenting or marriage. Like Everything in life is about, you know, 
are you helping people improve their lives, you know, or enjoyment of day to day? Um, so just like having these like North stars to look at, am I bringing value? Am I improving this person's situation? Is what I'm asking this person to do in their best interest? If we have these North stars to always go to when we fall off the course, it really, really helps um, early stage recruiters get confidence and perform well. And here's the other thing that we've done. And I've learned this from Mike's team. We have a team of specialists. So like my job is to bring in the best clients in the very specific industry that we've chose to specialize in. I have 10 folks who work with me and have helped build you know, this amazing business. And they're really ultra productive because they focus in a specific type of position. So I have two mm. people who do or three people who do nothing but sales search, C-suite down to high level contributors. I have one person who does nothing but marketing search, chief marketing officer down. I have someone who does the same thing in product, same thing in account management, customer success. Someone who does the same thing in operations, partnerships. We can go on and on. So when Mm. a client comes to me and says, hey, we need a VP of marketing, I know exactly who it's going to. And that person knows exactly who to call right away because that's what they do. Those are the people they talk to all day long. So what we've created is this team of specialists where... The person who does marketing search work probably can do a chief marketing officer search better than I can because they're the best marketing recruiter in the country for our niche expertise. So that I think has allowed my team to build a lot of confidence, a lot of great Mm. networks, a lot of great contacts. It also helps avoid any infighting like, hey, why did that person get the C-level search? Well, that's what they do. That's the type of searches they work on. So it really creates a really good team environment and you know a, a real expertise in not only the niche area of focus, but also the position type. Um, so that, I think, is a model that allows people with less experience to get up and running quicker, that they're not starting from scratch every time you give them a new search. They're really just picking up where they left off from a previous successful search or another current search that's pretty similar. So... We have a very, you know, networking approach, you know, calling hiring manager level people, getting referred down to maybe the level we're recruiting at, you know, when we're working on some stuff at like the manager director level. Um, So again, these are just a couple of things I've learned over the last 12 years, made a ton of mistakes, but here are a couple of things we've gotten right that, you know, have worked out really, really well. Love it. Could you explain the last point you made a little more? Because I didn't fully uh, catch that. The idea of networking into companies, calling a level up in order to get referred down. Yeah, I think that falls back to the quality of candidate piece. So let's say we are working on a partnerships search, a VP of partnership, or sorry, excuse me, a regional director of partnerships where... They're looking for a partnerships person on the East Coast that works with these specific partners. That would go to Chelsea on my team because she handles all partnerships, SVP down. Typically, you don't have a chief partnership officer, but we do a ton of C-suite you know, within our team. So instead of Chelsea calling every partnerships person on the East Coast that works for the source companies we typically would source out of, instead, she goes and calls VPs and SVPs of partnerships at companies we work with, at people she's recruited in the past for senior level stuff, 
at companies that we want to eventually work with as clients Mm. and say, hey, Mark, I see your SVP of partnerships at X, Y, and Z company. I'm recruiting a position that's you you five, seven years ago, but I want to call you because you're an expert in the market. You know, you've been in the space for a very long time. You've hired some great people. You've trained some great people. Here's what my client does. And she's going to pitch them as good as she possibly can so yeah. that they're like, wow, that sounds like a great opportunity. And she'd say, hey, like, I'm not expecting you to refer me your top producer on your team. You'd be crazy to do that. But who's the best people who did this job in the East at your last company, at your company before that? If you were hiring for this role, who would be the first three to five people you'd call? So what does Mm. that do? It gets her a lot of referrals quickly, and it comes from a trusted source. Mm -hmm. And people at that level are not going to refer you crap. They're going to refer you the best of the best. So when we reach out to our clients and say, hey, we located this candidate, it's not, hey, we called this candidate directly and they told us they're the best thing since sliced bread. We're like, hey, this person is really good. And we know this because their former manager said they would hire them again if they could. Beautiful. It's another level of vetting. It's another level of service. And again, it's just that branding piece. Like everything we do as a team is trying to brand us as the best team in the market. You know, it's their best group to go to to recruit talent. Everything we do, we want it to occur to the person we're talking to is hey, if at some point I need to look for a job, at some point I need to build my team, it's a no-brainer who I'm going to. Because like Absolutely. this group is a different breed than everyone else we've talked to. Um, and it's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of thought and time and effort that goes into um, how to approach the business. But if you do it correctly, you know that happens more often than not. Love it, Norm. And so... <laughs> I can, I'm getting a really clear sense of why you guys are so good at what you do. Um, I'm still, the, the missing piece for me is how you juggle your own deals and supporting your team. Like what, how do you uh, stay on top of all that? That's a really good question. And I think, you know, we keep going back to further things we've said previously, when you hire the right people, Hire really smart, talented people that are creative and can be autonomous. You can give them a lot of responsibility. So like a key to scaling this business to levels that we never, I never thought we could get here. Um, If you told me, you know, we would have built over 6 million in 2022, I would have laughed. And, you know, I'd say, uh, you know, whatever you're smoking, I'll take a little bit of it. Um, But, you know, ultimately, you know, it really is happen because of the talent we've brought in and and the quality of the team top to bottom. So just delegating when you have people who are smart, who you trust, who have high aptitude, you feel really comfortable delegating things you typically wouldn't think to delegate. So, you know, a lot of the time, you know, especially with like a Mitch, Mitch is one of the best recruiters in the country. Like I've suggested Pinnacle Society let him in as soon as he's eligible just because his billings are in line. He just hasn't been in the business long enough. You know, he hasn't hit his five-year mark. So, you know, with a Mitch, like he can handle 98% of what I handle. Um, and there's a couple things occasionally he may ask for help with just because I have five, six, seven years of extra experience. 
But in terms of aptitude, talent, like it's no drop off. So, you know, I think part of it is just hiring the right people so you can delegate and, you know, creating economies of scale. So, you know, by delegating, by creating this team of specialists, it it really helps me spend a lot of my time marketing and talking to C-levels and talking to investors, doing podcasts, you know, doing all the things that are building top of funnel so that, you know, the team has a lot to work on. And by delegating and training them on how to not only like recruit a candidate, but how to manage the whole process, how to handle both sides of the deal's emotions, you know, during a very stressful time. I can get involved as they get trained more and more, less and less um, on the individual, you know, deals because there's very little drop off, you know, between me being involved, you know, and them doing it themselves. And then, you know, I hired a chief of staff, you know, Tyler Slomovitz, who handles all our CS and account management search. He's the best in the country at that. And, you know, ultimately our clients weren't hiring that as much as they were in previous years. But, you know, he's got four years of experience. He's one of my best recruiters. I elevated him to chief of staff role. So in addition to doing all of our customer success and account management work, he still had extra time in his day. So now, you know, he has created a role for himself and done an amazing job of taking certain responsibilities off my plate. We recently onboarded a virtual assistant who's helping with a lot of the scheduling and tedious tasks that take a lot of time that can be outsourced. So we're always just trying to create efficiencies so that I can spend as much of my day bringing in amazing clients and training my team to provide better service to those clients. And everything else, I try to delegate and outsource because that's where my time's best spent. And, and that's in awesome. their best interest, right? What's in my team's best interest? We bring in great clients. They get the best training. If I'm focusing most of my time on that and helping make great matches a reality, if those are the three things I do all day, then that's a good day. All right. I love the those three specific areas as your primary areas of focus, you know, uh, bringing in the best clients, delivering the best training and coaching and mentoring for your team members, and three, ensuring that we're making great matches. That's uh, that's awesome. Norm, what's the chief of staff role? What does that so, entail? That's a great question. Again, he most of his day is still recruiting account management, customer success leaders and building their teams. But, you know, ultimately, there's a lot as you scale that you don't plan for. Like, I never planned to build a team that bills four or five, six million. God willing, we'll bill six again. We might not. You know, the economy might might not uh, enable that. Maybe we end up the year at four and a half or five or something, and I'd still be happy and thrilled. Because, again, did the best we could. We worked our butts off. We did great work as long as our brand is as good or better as it's ever been in our market and the numbers are lower, I'm not going to sweat it. Um, but ultimately, yeah. you know, in terms of Tyler, when he's not recruiting, he is handling a lot of the questions that someone with four years of great experience and a great recruiter can answer just as well as I can. Like His yeah. job is to ultimately get questions from experienced and inexperienced recruiters and figure out who the best person to answer those questions or solve those problems are. Hmm. And if he can handle it or if he can delegate it to Casey, who Casey's amazing. She started the same time I did a couple months after. I kind of went the business development. I want to bring in clients. I want to build a space route. And she went the training route and management Mm -hmm. route. 
So she helps, you know, manage and train my team. And she's a huge piece of scaling. This is Mm. doing a lot of the onboarding and a lot of the initial training and taking that off my plate. Um, So, you know, Tyler kind of decides, Hey, can I answer this? Is this best for Casey? Should we ask Mitch's opinion on this? And only if all those groups are either not able or maybe they're in conflict where like, hey, Casey thinks this is the right thing to do. Mitch thinks this is the right thing to do. Let's use Norm as the tiebreaker. Um, you know, I have immense trust in all these folks. But when they feel, hey, this this is a question that I really want to get Norm's opinion on, then I get involved. So again, it's really just he's doing an amazing job of delegating and answering some things that he's capable of answering just as well as I am. So that, again, I can focus my time in building top of funnel, which is going to improve their earning potential and, uh, you know, free me up to do the crucial coaching sessions that other people can do. But maybe I can just do it better purely because I have more experience doing it. Okay, it's really interesting, but I still don't understand, Norm, like um, in your organization structure. Where does Mitch fit in? Do the do the recruiters report to Mitch and he reports to you? No. So it's, is, it's I, a matrixed environment. Like okay. we really want to create a very flat organization. Like okay. I'll take out the trash if I have to, if I think that's the best thing for the team. Okay. Um, you know, there's no type of position within the team or function within the team that is below me or anyone like we're just a low ego group we're like hey we got to get shit done yeah whoever needs to do it you know we'll do it and that includes me um so again the structure of the team is you know i try to bring in clients and again like mitch has a bunch of his own clients because he has amazing reputation trevor has a handful of his clients he's another partner that's on the team um you know there's a couple other people that have a client or two so again it's it's Everyone markets, everyone builds relationships with high level people. Everyone has good reputations that, you know, could easily create some inbound leads with the companies we want to work with. So, you know, in terms of structure, you know, it's flat. We bring in a search, depending on someone's specialty, we know who it goes to. Mm -hmm. And if, uh, you know, there is client management needs or deal closing needs, a lot of time that gets elevated to me if it's my client. But if Mitch has a client and it's his search, like he's that person that's helping bring the deal together at the end and doing the closing, so to speak, you know, really just bringing two parties that want to work together together that just have, you know, a negotiation between them. Yes. Um, so again, you know, there, there isn't like, I, I don't tell anyone like publicly, oh, I'm this person's bot. I'm like, if I meet someone and I'm working with someone and, you know, we just happen to be out socially. I tell people, hey, this this is my partner. This is someone, you know, that colleague I work or, with. This is my yeah, colleague. Yeah, sure. You know, it's yeah. not like a hierarchy thing. Yeah, um, no, like, ultimately, I, I the totally clients, the cli- I, we all work for our clients. Like our clients right. are the boss. I work for our clients. Um, I like to think they view me as a value add and they uh, see me as a partner. Um, but ultimately... You, we don't do anything for ourselves. Like it, it's purely, hey, can we do this for our client together? Um, so you know, yes, rainmaker model. I bring in a good amount of the searches. Other people on the team do. Um, the recruiters technically work 
for me, just from a financial standpoint, I pay their salaries and, you know, all that. But, you know, Casey manages them a good amount of the time. They all want Mitch's advice and mentorship. They want my advice and mentorship. But, you know, sometimes someone's question is better answered by, you know, someone else on the team. It doesn't always have to be me. Fair enough. I, I definitely like the low ego environment. That's like uh, the kind of place I would want to work. So thank kudos you. Kudos to you for, for creating that culture. I think that's super important, especially like younger people these days want different things, right? And uh, that's one of them. They don't want this hierarchical thing where they like are climbing this corporate ladder and and they need permission to you know to do certain things and so you're you're creating an environment where people can um you know pursue their own you know their own uh, they can be autonomous and I love it my goal ultimately is have the people on my team duplicate the success we've done in this space in other markets and spawn off and build their own teams. And that's how I awesome. want DRI and K, you know the K Bassman SRA Starfish Group to scale part through acquisition, but part through organic growth, ha- hiring really good people, having them learn like I learned from Mike, take a lot of that business model, apply it to a new area and grow a team and grow it really successfully. Um, so that's my ultimate goal that a Mitch, a Trevor, a Gabriella, a Danny, a Zach, a Tyler, a Chelsea, a Benji, my whole team, you know, everyone who works here, um, they all eventually spawn off, build their own teams, build their own practice areas, become, you know, well known in their niche as the top group, um, nationally that does this. And ultimately, you know, pattern a lot of what we build our team based on the core values, you know, the training, the obsession with, you know, client experience and, you know, just bringing value and, you know, being a great value add, all those types of things. That would be the ultimate thing I'd be most proud of is, you know, hopefully 10, 15, 20 years from now, it's like, wow, a lot of people have been real successful. They got their start working for Norm and, you know, they did so well that they spawned off and they're their own boss. That's amazing. I love it, Norm. Listen, this has been fun. We could we could go on for another hour, but that's all the time Thank we've got. You. So I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for having me. And uh, you know, I'll be doing this a while. Maybe we'll do another one. I know Rich Rosen Let's got interviewed it. twice, so anything's possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at least twice. Maybe three. No, I think it was twice. Maybe three times. I'm not sure. But for sure. Let's do it again, Norm. And uh, I'll be tuning into your podcast. So uh, good luck with that. Thank you for the inspiration. This is truly what inspired me to start my own. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, it's the start of something, you know, really exciting. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.